Hey, it's Matt Bowles. If you want to hang out with me in person, I'm going to be at the Latino Travel Fest in Elizabeth, New Jersey, May 31st to June 2nd. And I've got a 15% discount for you to join me. Just go to themaverickshow.com slash Latino. That's L-A-T-I-N-O. There you're going to see your 15% discounted ticket. There are going to be multiple guests from The Maverick Show attending, so you'll be able to hang out with all of us in person. You do not need to be Latino in order to attend Everyone is welcome. Again, get your discounted ticket at themaverickshow.com slash Latino. And as soon as you do, send me a DM on Instagram at Matt Bowles Maverick. Let me know that you're coming so that we can make plans to link up in person. And now here's a clip of what's coming up on today's episode. I was during the day writing about stories of entrepreneurs and, and spending time with entrepreneurs in co-working spaces, incubators, accelerators with, you know, tanks kind of driving by outside. And then by night, I was out there on the street with protesters and telling their stories and, and, and documenting the protests. And really a matter of 24 to 48 hours, the situation changed very quickly. It became very intense. You know, people were being killed from the opposition. People who were supporting Morrissey were being killed in the streets. And they had actually arrested uh, a number of, of colleagues at, at Al Jazeera. And I was photographing freelance for Al Jazeera at the time. And so I, I got out of there pretty quickly. You know, I think within about 24 hours of, of me leaving, they apparently had searched my apartment. Today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody, it's Matt Bowles. Welcome to the Maverick Show. My guest today is Jonathan Kalen. He is the CEO and co founder of Unsettled a global travel community for creative professionals looking to break out of their routines and redefine their own future of work. Unsettled offers travel experiences in some of the world's most beautiful destinations and has over 2,000 alumni from 80-plus countries that are all passionate about taking their work, life, and adventures beyond traditional borders. Unsettled also offers an online lifestyle incubator program, a highly interactive virtual retreat where Unsettled's facilitators help participants envision their dream lifestyle and career based on their values, interests, and goals, and then design an achievable action plan to make it a reality with peer-to-peer -peer accountability and support. Before founding Unsettled, Jonathan was an inaugural TED resident as well as a founding editor-in-chief of the award-winning news app Timeline and an internationally recognized photographer and journalist. He's lived for extensive periods of time in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia, reporting for BBC, The Atlantic, The New York Times, and Foreign Policy, among other outlets. He currently lives unsettled, splitting his time between Mexico City's taco stands and Puerto Rico's surf breaks. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Matt. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Awesome to have you, my man. You and I have been connected virtually, I want to say, for like two years. I have been following what Unsettled has been doing, and it's been super, super exciting to see that. You and I, just to set the context as further, are not actually in the same place today, although we are both in mountainous areas. I am actually in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. And where are you today? I am in the mountains of Puerto Rico, of which there are actually quite beautiful mountains, uh, little people know. So I am uh, calling in from here, a little hacienda with a beautiful view, great breeze. And yeah, perfect. I love that, man. And tell just tell folks a little bit about what you're doing next week, just so that they can, you know, get the context of your a snapshot into your lifestyle. <laughs> well, yeah. So next week, I'm going straight from the mountains to a boat. So we got a my, my fiance and I got a boat for the week. We're chartering it out of Fajardo in Puerto Rico. We're going to sail around a couple islands near here. And yeah, I've never done the full working and living on a boat. You know, we've run uh, trips, unsettled trips on boats. We do that a lot. It's part of our founding story, which I'm sure you're sure you'll hear. But yeah, we're gonna gonna see if we can do the nomad life on a boat for a few days and see how it feels. I love that, man. That's awesome. So let's go ahead and let's start back towards the beginning. And I would love to hear a little bit just about your experience growing up. Where did you grow up and how did you ultimately get interested in international travel as well as any entrepreneurial tendencies and experiences that you had growing up? So before Unsettled, what was your life like that ultimately led you there? Yeah, it's a great start. And I think it'll uh, connect the dots very well. So I actually grew up in a small town in Connecticut, which is not very adventurous in and of itself. You could think about a Martha Stewart catalog. And that's pretty much how I'd uh, best describe where I grew up. But my parents were super adventurous. My parents, I like to say, were still are, I think, early millennials in that they valued experiences much more than things. And, um, you know, I was fortunate enough to Travel quite a lot growing up. So, you know, I think by the age of five, I had probably been to maybe 10, 12 countries. I have vivid memories of being carried away on the shoulders of people in the middle of Irian Jaya, I think when I was six. And, you know, just a, an adventurous start as a result of, I think, my parents' love for kind of embracing the unknown and, and taking wild adventures and, and living that life while still also have a base in Connecticut. So I think that that early travel bug really came about from them, really came about some from some foundational experiences of just getting exposed to what was out there. You know, I think, you know, I'd come back from a maybe a summer holiday and, and friends would talk about going to Miami and, you know, I'd have a story about South Africa. And it was uh, a pretty exceptional, I think, way to grow up and a way to, to kind of see what else was out there and, and give me, I think, a hunger for exploring more and, and seeing, you know, where I could take that in later in life. That's awesome, man. And then how did your career trajectory evolve? I know you went into journalism and you were doing international journalism. And I'd love to hear, you know, that trajectory as well as, you know, whether or not there were any entrepreneurial tendencies at that time or whether that all came about later. I think, to be honest, I, I always sort of knew I'd be an entrepreneur. Uh, I didn't really know what type or what I would do, but I, you know, I was always encouraged to sort of do my own thing and, and always sort of did. You know, I went to college out in Santa Barbara, UC Santa Barbara, which, you know, as a kid growing up on the East Coast was pretty much a paradise. You know, it's an incredible experience and, you know, learn how to surf, learn how to, I think, achieve real work-life balance uh, at a young age, given the temptations that you have living on the beach while you're supposed to be completing a four-year degree. And, um, you know, I think I was always interested in, in, in new things. There was always a through line in my life through, you know, adventure, technology, risk-taking, 
and looking at things a little differently. And so, you know, even while I was in college, you know, I founded a couple different organizations, whether it was something small like an open mic night, because uh, I used to play music back then, or a music festival, actually, a sustainable music festival that I was part of the founding team of starting, I think, my freshman year in college. And I was just always on the lookout for, you know, ways to do things differently. I think a, a through line throughout my entire life is I've never thought or sought to be the best at anything. I've always looked to just do things my own way and take a unique angle and unique approach. And so, you know, coming out of college, I had an incredible opportunity to work with a, it was like a media tech venture. They were trying to connect celebrities, nonprofits, and new technology around activism. And so I, I kind of interned for them. Uh, it was a company called CauseCast. And, you know, right out of college, I went to work for them. It was a sort of a three-man team. The, the two founders, person that I, I used to know from Santa Barbara, and then me as an intern grew and grew and grew the company for about a year and a half until I ran some interesting new parts of the company. You know, this is back in, I guess, what, 2009, 2010, and sort of the frontier of mobile fundraising. If you remember those days where, you know, it was really exciting to text, you know, donate to 5555 and, you know, donate $10 on your cell phone bill. I was running programs like that. And, um, you know, so it always just sort of never felt like I was going to have a traditional path, never felt like I would really fit in in, in a nine to five office setting or, you know, really looked at a career as something that was something linear, you know, where you're just climbing straight up. I, I'd always jumped between things and got excited by new ideas, had a lot of different interests, you know, ranging from, you know, photography and media and journalism, which I, I pursued a little bit in college to, you know, just technology and, and building things, which I did CauseCast. And so, you know, I think it was, it was no surprise where I ended up and, you know, the journey that kind of took me from there. Well, I'd love for you to go a little bit more into your experience as a journalist and as your travel adventures, you know, expanded and your experiences expanded from there. Can you tell us a little bit about how that is to be an international journalist, especially for some of those major outlets and, you know, what that experience was like? Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell the story of how I got there because it kind of picks up, you know, in, in L.A. when I was working for that startup. You know, it was about a year, year and a half. And, you know, I just, again, didn't really feel super comfortable in an office. I loved what we were doing, but I reached a point where I said, okay, you know, I think I'm, I'm 21, 22. I've saved up a little bit of money. What am I going to do next? You know, where do I go from here? You know, do I stay at this startup and kind of follow the grind and see where it takes me and hope that maybe one day it makes a bunch of money and I've got some equity and, you know, stick with it on that? Or, you know, do I set out and do my own thing? And, and by that point, I was ready to go, you know, to go somewhere. I didn't know exactly where. I had some vague ideas of getting a motorcycle, going through South America and just kind of going on a solo adventure to figure out what was next. And, you know, that wouldn't be the craziest thing for me to do, but it was a little bit, there wasn't a lot of purpose to it, I'll say, uh, which is fine. You know, it was great. But as I was sort of scheming that plan, it was an afternoon in, in Los Angeles. And it was kind of a funny story. I was walking through a street festival in the neighborhood of Silver Lake, and I saw a sign that just said, moving to Africa, selling everything. So I said, huh, I wonder what this is about. You know, curious. I, I walked in, I talked to the woman who was selling all her things and just said, you know, where are you going and, and what are you doing? And it turns out she was basically moving over there to continue running a, a social enterprise that she had started. It was a, a school that was designed to support orphan kids who were in an area of Tanzania. And the idea was that they were starting micro businesses, small entrepreneurial projects that the students could run 
as a way to fund their tuition and support the school. And I had a really deep interest in, in sort of how business could shape development, you know, BOP, bottom of the pyramid venture solutions, social entrepreneurship. I had studied a bit about that when I lived in India for a year in college. I was looking at energy and, and waste and, and different solutions for business models at, at the base of the economic pyramid. And so I said, that's cool. Do you need any help? <laughs> and she said, eh, you know, maybe like just some kind of 21, 22 year old kid, you know, just out of college, you know, a little bit of experience. And, and she said, yeah, we'll, we'll talk later. And about four emails and two calls later of me uh, trying to convince her that, you know, I wanted to move to Tanzania and help her out. And, you know, as a way for me to sort of, I think, get a, a jump start into both a space that I was quite interested in, which was social entrepreneurship, as well as, you know, I harbored some sort of dreams of pursuing photography and photojournalism. You know, it was just sort of a long shot, but it was something that I was interested enough in pursuing to, you know, want to have a platform that could potentially allow me to explore that. And, you know, even then media is, is a challenging industry to break into in the US. And I figured, you know, there's some really interesting things going on in East Africa, especially in the area of innovation, technology, entrepreneurship, which were things that I was quite interested in at the time. And so long story short, about a month later, I had sold all my things. I had a one-way ticket to Tanzania. I was coming in as their director of business development to originally found a pizza shop in Dar es Salaam, which was, you know, I mean, as enticing as an offer as you can get to move to East Africa to launch a pizza shop. And so I ended up going over there and the pizza shop never happened. The business plan wasn't that sound, but we did launch a poultry farm, which was unsuccessful. We launched a solar kiosk business that the students ran because the school was quite off-grid and a few other small projects. And, and you know, where it led me was, you know, I had free room and board in a place I'd never been, in an environment I'd never been, and the ability to sort of pursue my curiosity, right, to follow what I was interested in. And so I started, you know, traveling around, writing stories, articles, taking photos around social entrepreneurship, you know, looking at how business models were supporting different ways of development in and across East Africa. And that sort of snowballed, to be honest, after about, you know, six months of sort of doing it on my own and just building up a repertoire of stories, I started to get published, I started to get recognized and started to actually consider that, you know, this could be a career, you know, this could be something I could make money off of. This is something that I really enjoyed and loved the process of storytelling, the process of just discovering new ideas and uh, sharing them with others as a way to see a place very differently. And I think at that time, you know, I, I may have mentioned, there was a lot of interesting things happening in East Africa. Kenya was sort of this, this tech startup hub. There's a lot of activity, a lot of people really interested in, in how people were innovating in those areas and the types of business models and the types of different models for development. And so, yeah, I mean, that was the beginning of it. It ended up turning into a four-year career as a foreign correspondent and photojournalist, which brought me you know, I think to probably 15, 20 countries throughout the time. I, I lived in Kenya for four years, spent a bunch of that time in the Middle East and Egypt. And, you know, ultimately just use it as a period of my life to learn, right? It was about what could I discover? You know, what about these places? Could I learn? What kind of perspective could I bring on them back to the rest of the world? And, you know, from interviewing entrepreneurs who were bringing Facebook to people in Somalia and Mogadishu to, covering terrorist attacks in, in Nairobi to covering the coup in Egypt in 2013. It was really, I think, ultimately a vehicle for me to understand the world a bit differently and to use, I think, the privilege that I had, you know, with, let's say, a U.S. passport, with an education, with the ability to 
travel as freely as I was and have the backing of the types of organizations that I was working for to, I think, shed light on things that I was very both curious about and thought the world needed to see. And so there's a lot of adventures within that. (laughs) But you know, that's the brief of it. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I went to East Africa for the first time in 2018. And Mm -hmm. I was based in Nairobi for a month. And what a special place that was, man. Mm. And I got to go, we did a safari out in Masai Mara. And I got to go to Tanzania, went to Dar es Salaam, and then went out to Zanzibar and also went to visit a friend, Ugandan friend of mine in Kampala, Mm. and spent some time there. And it was just such a really impactful experience and magical experience. Very, very special. Maybe want to go back to see more of Africa. I'm like, this is, you know, this is incredible because prior to that, I had only been to South Africa and North Africa and I had never been anywhere, you know, in the middle until 2018. And so then last year I went back and I did about three months in West Africa and, you know, went through Nigeria and Ghana and Ivory Coast and Senegal. And it was just super, super spectacular experience. And, uh, you know, as a nomad, it really added so much, I think, you know, because you can travel through Europe and you can travel through Asia, you can travel through South America, and those are all amazing cultures. But, you know, the continent of Africa, I think, is just, you know, so distinct and so extraordinary, you know, in terms of the things that it offers. It was just amazing. So I've now been, I think, to about 10 countries in Africa, but I'm already have a list of, you know, where I want to go back next and, and what the next yeah. ones are that I want to do. But I would love to build, though, on what you just said, because I think it's really, really important in terms of, you know, developing reflections and having cultural experiences and reflecting on privilege and all that kind of stuff. And I know you spent a lot of time doing that. You delivered a TED talk on that topic, which I've seen, which is fantastic, which we're going to link up in the show notes as well. But you and I have also spent a lot of time in Egypt. I was, I first went to Egypt way back in the day, like 20 years ago. And as part of a international peace and conflict resolution sort of program where we went to Israel, the West Bank, the Gaza Strip and Egypt. And then I've subsequently been back multiple times. And I think you and I were not actually there at the same time, but we kind of leapfrogged each other. I was there for two months in 2012. Mm-hmm. And then you were there in 2013. And then I was there for about nine months in 2014. Mm. So I'm pretty familiar with Cairo, with the culture and, and that kind of stuff. But I would love to hear, you know, just any more on your reflections in terms of what that learning experience was like for you and some of the reflections that you had after spending so much time both in sub-Saharan Africa and in, you know, in North Africa and Egypt. Yeah, it was, I mean, I, I think that of all the experiences I've had in my, you know, 32 years, I think actually that month in Egypt was probably one of the most impactful of my life. You know, I think it was a confluence of number one, you know, where I was at as an individual and just my personal journey and and kind of at what point I was during my time there, as well as what was happening there. So I ended up there on a whim, to be honest. I was doing some uh, photography work for an organization around the Middle East, photographing entrepreneurs. It was covering these programs that were helping young entrepreneurs take their ideas sort of to market. And it was fascinating. So I, I went to everywhere from, you know, Qatar, Egypt, Morocco, Jordan, Israel, and a few other places, documenting stories of, of young entrepreneurs. And it was when I was in Egypt and documenting some work there that a couple of friends that I met said, hey, you might want to stick around for the next week. Something really big is going to happen here. And I was like, okay, what's going on? They're like, well, you know, this petition has gone around. There's something like a million people have signed this petition to take, you know, the president out of power. And I said, okay, this could be interesting. You know, I have not lived through revolution before. Obviously, I had seen the Arab Spring. I was, it was sort of quite early in my journalism days to be covering the Arab Spring. 
I was still based in Nairobi at the time. I didn't really have many contacts, but you know, by this time I had built a pretty solid career and you know, I had photographed for the New York Times and had a column for BBC and, and worked for a number of other outlets. So I felt, you know, if I stayed, I would have, you know, a vantage point and a place to, I think, share my voice and share my perspective and, and really document what was going on on the ground. And so, you know, as what happened over, you know, I think it was the end of June in, in 2013, as they begin to protest for Morrissey, who is you know, the first democratically elected president in quite a long time in Egypt, to take him out of power, you know, you had millions of people on the streets of Cairo, which is something that I just, it's impossible to explain that feeling. When you have so many people out on the streets, there was no police, there was no nothing, there was this kind of organized chaos throughout the streets, night after night after night, where um, it was intense, it was powerful, it was inspiring, it was so many different emotions at once. And, you know, I think the unique thing was I was during the day writing about stories of entrepreneurs and, and spending time with entrepreneurs in co-working spaces, incubators, accelerators with, you know, tanks kind of driving by outside. And then by night, I was out there on the street with protesters and, and telling their stories and, and, and documenting the protests. And so it was this weird juxtaposition of, you know, I think in many ways, the hope that had come about through the Arab Spring and what it had led to in terms of this, this growth in creativity and openness and entrepreneurship. And then this additional sort of call for change of a regime change, which was quite positive and optimistic until they actually, you know, did get Morrissey out of power. You know, General Sisi, who was the military leader, came into power and it basically became kind of a military dictatorship again. And in, in really a matter of 24 to 48 hours, the situation changed very quickly. It became very intense. You know, people were being killed from the opposition. People who were supporting Morrissey were being killed in the streets. And, you know, it just was this kind of interesting moment of, how quickly a sentiment or a feeling in an entire nation can can shift and sort of drop out from under you and sort of experience that, you know, as an outsider. And then also in some ways be at threat because they had actually arrested a number of, of colleagues at, at Al Jazeera and I was photographing freelance for Al Jazeera at the time. And so I, I got out of there pretty quickly. You know, I think within about 24 hours of, of me leaving, they apparently had searched my apartment and, and they had rounded up some other journalists. And so, you know, it was this kind of moment of, wow, any, anything can happen, right? It's, it's certainly a, a thrilling and exhilarating life. And, you know, the privilege to be able to share that perspective and share those stories and witness it firsthand and, and see, you know, not just what the media tells you, but really be on the streets and, and be part of crafting a different narrative, but also, you know, how quickly things can change. And, and so, you know, it was part of, I think, the end of my time as a journalist. You know, it was a long road towards moving away from journalism. And I think in many ways, because of it is a, a BBC journalist who described it best to me, he said, it is an industry with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I think over four years, I really got to ride, I think, some of the highest moments and some of the lowest moments and really looked at my career trajectory and said, you know, where does this go? You know, I'm 26 years old. I've, I've kind of achieved things that I never thought I could have achieved as a journalist or at least by that point in my career. And as I started reflecting, you know, and looking at people who were maybe 10, 15, 20 years older than me and what they had done, and there didn't seem like a really, I think, enticing or exciting career path for me anymore in that space. And so, you know, coming back from Egypt and, and sort of having that experience, coming right into about three weeks later to a, a terrorist attack in Nairobi at, at the Westgate Mall, which I, I covered and, and was there for, 
it was kind of the beginning of the end of, I think, that chapter of my life and that career, which was, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I think it was the most impactful set of experiences of my career and of my life and got me very much to where I am today. But it was sort of that time for a transition and a pivot and, and thinking about that question of, you know, what is next? And, you know, what can I do more for the world than just writing or taking photos, which is quite powerful, but I think also was not necessarily my uh, true calling. It was a, a means and a vehicle less so than I think, you know, the true passion. Yeah. One of the things I really appreciate about your story, Jonathan, that I have in common with you, I feel, is that I spent a lot of time before I went the entrepreneurial route in terms of developing a lot of my worldviews and reflecting on a lot of, you know, my privilege and trying to understand, you know, and cultivate sort of my worldview first. And then I went into, you know, my business endeavors and, and that kind of stuff. And I feel like as I travel, I am constantly thankful that I had those initial experiences that helped to shape my worldview because now I have a lens through which to process all sorts of new experiences that I have. Whereas maybe if I hadn't done that first, and I just, you know, started a business right out of college and I hadn't, you know, done the things that I'd done, you know, I have a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution. And I've done activism in a lot of these conflict, you know, regions ranging from Palestine to the north of Ireland to, you know, the Chiapas, Mexico and places like that. And I feel like that was so, so, so important. And I want to move into your next chapter. But before we do that, I want to just ask if you can tell the story about what happened at the Westgate Mall. I actually have some friends, some Kenyan friends that did get caught up in that and thankfully survived that experience, but are obviously still traumatized to this day from being caught up in that experience. And I was wondering if you can just share that story in terms of, you know, just to set the context for people that don't know about what happened, but but to share your personal experience there. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just quickly, you know, I think echo on what you said about just the perspective that you gain. I mean, you know, that was, I think it's essential to anybody's journey, right? Of taking that time to, to understand what is your perspective on the world and what is others' perspectives? Because I think a fundamental belief that I have is, you know, and, and this is something that was really the, the thesis or center around my TED talk is there is no such thing as truth, right? There's my truth. There's your truth. There's somebody else's truth, right? And, and everybody has their own versions of truth based on their different perspectives, which are informed by their realities. And I think, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, or whatever, I think the really valuable thing that you can do is use your privilege to go out and discover others' truths. And whatever that privilege may be, right? It might be your gender, it might be your background, it might be your passport, it might be your income, but use whatever you have to understand, you know, the perspective of the rest of the world, because that's going to inform, you know, any decision that you make, anything that you do going forward, and especially in, in business and entrepreneurship, a global context. I mean, it was effectively a global education that I had over the course of, you know, four or five years of, of working as a photojournalist, of times living in India before that, and, and everything since. It's completely informed how I approach business. And it, it leads to, in many ways, why, you know, the company that I have today and why Unsettled is such a global company and the perspective that we have is shaped through those experiences. So I think, you know, the point you made there is is a really valuable one. You know, with Westgate, yeah, you know, it was it was literally about two weeks after I had three weeks after I'd come home from a pretty I think traumatic experience as a as a photojournalist in Egypt. You know, the first time I had seen, you know, bodies for the first time, people you know who were uh, killed in some of the, the violence and the conflict, and you know, it was uh, one of the largest lo uh, shopping malls in Nairobi, a place that most of us had been many many times. You know, just a couple miles away from where we lived and. 
you know, notice came in, it was, a, I think, around 10 or 11 o'clock on a Saturday afternoon that somebody had thrown a grenade in the mall and that it might have been a robbery. Uh, and so, you know, myself and a bunch of other journalists hustled over there and uh, it turned out to be something much bigger. It was a very, very well-coordinated attack on the Westgate Mall in Nairobi from Al-Shabaab, which is a terrorist organization mainly out of Somalia. And many reasons why it came about. Somalia, Kenya had been sort of involved in an ongoing conflict in Somalia, among many other things that were happening at the time. And so, you know, in the end, it ended up being about a three-day siege with a lot of misinformation, a lot of government mishandling, and around, I believe, 67 to 70 people were killed. And you know, I was there throughout the whole thing. I, I went inside the mall you know, as it was going on to document. A lot of my photos ended up in the AP and some global papers. And it was, it was intense because you, know, you, you see how at risk you are in those types of situations. You, know, you feel quite safe, as you probably did, in, in any bar in Nairobi or any place that you are. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes of a difference, you could have been there. Things like that happened. And I mean, this happened again to, to some of my friends about, a, I think it was just about a year ago, actually, as another shopping center with the office complex in, in Nairobi that was attacked. So, you know, I think that was a traumatic experience for many. It actually, most of my friends ended up moving past Kenny at that point or those who had, who had lived there as expats. And, you know, for me, it was, you know, it showed me, I think, what a certain path could be for journalism for me. And I think I'm, you know, I'm much, I'm quite an optimistic person. I'm quite a creative person. I'm a very entrepreneurial person. And, you know, I think when I began to saw what was really the root of a lot of foreign correspondents' work, it, it started to turn me off quite a bit. And, you know, some of the problems and things that a country like Kenya faces or, or you know, that that's, um, were going on at the time seemed so, I think, deep and dire that I began to question what was my role really there? And what could I do to really change that situation with the tools that I had? And so there's a lot of things kind of swirling around, around, I think my role, I think, you know, am I a witness? Am I a reporter? Am I an active participator? Am I, you know, uh, all of these things. So yeah, it was quite an interesting, interesting time. I think it's been what it's been almost eight years now uh, since then, but it's something I think I'm still processing. Yeah, I can imagine. So moving forward from there, Jonathan, can you talk a little bit about how you took all of your experiences and your reflections from that period in your life? And when you went into the TED residency, maybe let's use that as the next step. Maybe just first explain what the TED residency is and then how you use that experience at the TED residency to sort of bring this perspective together and then what the outcome of that experience was. Yeah, well, it actually, I'd say it starts a little bit before the residency, the transition point where I actually met my, my co-founder who him and I were in the TED residency together. And that story was really, you know, coming back from, you know, four years, five years of, of doing work in, in Africa, the Middle East, you know, trying to figure out where do I fit in, right? Do I get a normal job? Do I keep kind of freelancing in a different capacity? You know, what what can I do? Can I consult? Like, what is the value that I bring? Because I had, again, really been away from very traditional work, right? So I didn't know what I could do. But I, I had the sense that I wanted to start a company and I didn't know what type. And there was a, a network called Sandbox that I uh, am a part of and, and uh, my co-founder Michael was a part of. And somebody through that network introduced us and said, hey, you know, talk to this guy, Michael. Um, you guys seem quite similar. You have similar backgrounds and you're both thinking about starting a company. 
And so I called up Michael and we, we had a really great kind of introductory chat. And, you know, his background was he was a managing editor for a publication out of MIT, George Mason and, and Georgetown called Innovations Journal. And they covered really uh, social entrepreneurship, I think broadly, global solutions to global problems uh, was sort of the, the approach to it. And really innovative approaches, long form journalism. And, and he was looking at taking that into a digital format. And for me, I said, well, you know, I've got a lot of experience in covering social innovation, social entrepreneurship. That sounds like a really interesting transition to start a business around that. And so we took that course. I moved to DC, moved in with him and his uh, wife at the time. And, and we kind of started hacking at it and raised a little bit of money. And actually, in, in the meantime, we had both discovered that we loved sailing. And so really, the first thing we did as we were starting the company was organizing a sailing trip in the Virgin Islands with about 40 of our friends from, from all over the world. And it was really supposed to be something fun. It was just supposed to be a nice gathering to get, you know, a bunch of our friends from all over, you know, different networks that we had to just share a space, share a time, be off grid, have some meaningful conversations and just enjoy. But what it ended up being was, I think, one of the most impactful weeks of our lives. I mean, we had some of the deepest conversations. We had some of the best memories. You know, when you take people who are mostly, you know, independent workers, most of these people were entrepreneurs or freelancers or had their own businesses or were highly creative and give that space for conversation around, you know, work, life, purpose, you know, spirituality, sexuality, all these things. It just incredible things can happen. And so, you know, when we came back, we were kind of on the path of this one company. And we realized that what we had created during that one week was something quite special, you know, something quite remarkable. And so we went about through a series of experiments to try and, you know, replicate that and say, you know, can we bring 30, 40, 50 people together and not just have a vacation, but have something that is more work driven, right? That is something that is, you know, we can work from anywhere. So why don't we? And, you know, in the time being, or in the interim time, we ran a couple of experiments of, you know, working from Bali for 30 days and, and organizing, you know, a co-working space, accommodations, organizing this community, bringing people from all over the world to share ideas and projects. You know, we ran that. I was actually at that time running a company out in California, a media tech venture. So I had been sort of, I guess, hired to to build a company. And I, I separated from the work that I was doing at the time with, with Michael and let him run that company. I went to California and, and ran this one in, in San Francisco. And then about a year and a half passed until I felt ready to move on from Timeline, which is the, the company in San Francisco. And Michael felt ready to move on from the company that we had started, the media company. And that's really where the TED residency came in was, you know, we were both at a transition point again and said, okay, you know, we're both stepping down from what we've been doing. We both have this idea or have been kind of working on this idea of giving people this ability to really build community while also living from anywhere and living this more nomadic lifestyle. And something is there. You know, We don't know exactly what it is, but let's see if we can pursue this idea a little bit further. Let's see if we can you know, take it to the next level, have a couple conversations, spend some time in person. And the output of that was you know, a week of deeply challenging each other on our values, on where our life trajectory wanted to be, things that were important to us, you know, everything from family, relationships, time, money, all those things laid out on the table to say, if we're going to start a business, you know, this is the foundation, right? These are the values. These are the things that are important to us. Are we aligned? And then the outcome of that week was, yes, we are. Yes, there's an idea here, something, you know, that we had initially called unsettled and, and still stays to this day. And actually applying to the TED residency 
to incubate the idea and to give us the space and time and, and a really amazing and diverse community to um, see that idea forward and to really nurture and grow that community. So that's actually how we ended up at the residency. A little bit of a, a long story to get there, but I think you, you kind of get the, the reason why. Yeah, for sure. And then what was the residency like? Can you explain to folks what the TED residency actually is? And then for you, what came out of it? What was the end result of that? Yeah, so TED has been, you know, I think for many years, you know, everybody recognized, you know, their TED Talks and and sometimes the TED Fellows that they have. And, you know, they've built this incredible brand around people with really ideas worth spreading. And they were looking for a way to start to incubate some of those ideas in-house in New York. So, you know, they have TED Talks all over the world. They have their annual TED Summit. They have their TED Fellows program, which is this global fellowship, but is not really location-based. They select fellows and they meet up maybe once or twice a year. And so the incubator was really an experiment for them to say, let's say if we take, you know, 20, 25 people from different backgrounds, different industries, from social justice to entrepreneurship to technology to science and neuroscience and dance, all these different spaces, and have them work together in the same space, independently on their own projects, but in the same space, and support each other over the course of three months. And at the end of it, you give a TED talk. And so we said, I mean, hell yeah, sign us up for this. This is great. You know, you know, we'd love to be working out of the TED offices. We'd love to meet these kinds of people. We'd love to be a part of this community. And community has always been, I think, a really a big part of both Michael and, and my life. And, you know, that valuable perspective of people from different industries and different backgrounds kind of sharing the same space was really resonant with us. And so, so we dove in. Um, it was their first time doing it. So it was quite, quite an experiment. And, you know, on a day to day, it's kind of like a co-working space, I would say. But, you know, given that everybody is at this really interesting stage with their life or their work or their projects, because they're all working independently, you have some really incredible conversations. You know, you have somebody who's working in prison reform. You have somebody who's working as an, an artist on, you know, uh, the theme of oppression. You have somebody who's a tap dancer. You have a, a neuroscientist who is turned into um, an artist. You know, you have just this incredible melding of people. And I think any idea, you know, no matter if it's a company like Unsettled or, you know, a tech company or whatever, benefits from being incubated in an environment with a lot of diversity. And so that was the idea behind the residency and, and where they were coming from, uh, from with it. And, you know, what we, I think, found really exciting about it and, and got out of it was just, you know, 25 great minds. I want to take just one minute out to let you know that in addition to hosting The Maverick Show, I am also the co-founder of Maverick Investor Group, a real estate brokerage that helps you buy turnkey rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets from anywhere. So these are single family homes sometimes two to four unit properties, and they're either brand new or fully renovated, and they already have tenants and local property management in place. So you get all the benefits of owning the deeded real estate, the physical house, the hard asset, without the headaches of being the landlord or the rehabber or needing to live near the property. So I want to offer you a free consultation if that sounds interesting to you. To learn more about it, you can just go to themaverickshow.com slash consult. And now, back to the episode. ...to shape our business and shape our thinking and, and inform us in kind of the road ahead. 
So let's talk about the road ahead and let's talk about the company Unsettled that you co-founded. Just reading from your website, I want to read two things and give you a chance to expand upon them. It says, we believe that feeling a little bit unsettled is a positive impulse for change, innovation, and discovery in our lives. Can you talk a little bit about that concept, how you chose the word unsettled and what that really means? Yeah, well, I could ask you what was the last time you felt unsettled and what did that mean for you? That might be an interesting way to to open it up. Or what does that word sound like for you? <laughs> well, for me, I try to unsettle myself quite a bit, right? And I'm super excited about the philosophy and the concept of your company as a result of that. You know, I mean, I am one of the reasons I'm an itinerant nomad and one of the reasons I continually try to insert myself and create experiences that are very new for me is precisely so that I can be unsettled and have the experiences of navigating new places and new cultural experiences and both the, you know, excitement and stimulation that's brought about by that, as well as the, you know, feelings of inadequacy and insecurity and like, you know, feeling like a child oftentimes in these situations that you don't know how to navigate them. But when you put it all together, it's an incredible personal growth experience for me. And so I, you know, intentionally put myself into new places and new experiences on the regular to, you know, to do exactly that. And so when I saw this concept that you guys had come out with, and I'm reading the language that you're using on their <laughs> website, I'm just like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> you know, and, and I get it a thousand percent. But I would love for you to talk a little bit about, you know, the value proposition as well that came out of that, right? Yeah. You know, I get the concept and what I use it for for myself. But, you know, in terms of formulating that into a business, right? And an organized, you know, institutionalized way for creating those kind of experiences. And then what the participants actually get out of it would love for you to expand on that. Yeah, for sure. And thanks for entertaining me there. I love, you know, the reason why I asked that question and not just say what Unsettled is or how we came up with the name and and concept ourselves is because I think the beauty of Unsettled is it means something different to everybody, right? And I think the way that you explained it was so beautiful in that, you know, for us, to be unsettled is, has nothing to do with your physical location, right? Unsettled is that feeling that you get when you are going through change or growth, right? Unsettled is that uncomfortable thing that you either shy away from or you lean into. And, you know, the whole concept of unsettled as a company is about leaning into that uncomfortable, leaning into that unsettled feeling because it's going to result in growth and change in some way. And so unsettled for us, you know, why the name has stuck is because it is a little bit divisive. It is a little bit, you know, provocative. And it does, I think, trigger something in all of us where at many, many stages of our lives, we feel unsettled, right? You graduate college and you go, shit, what am I going to do next? You're unsettled. You know, you're 35, you work the same job for 10 years and you look around and go, shit, do I want to be on this career ladder? You know, you're 65 and you're looking at retiring and you're not really sure how you want to spend the next 5, 10, 15 years of your life, you know, working less. Like, I'm unsettled. So I think... There's so many different ways that Unsettled applies to our lives. And it's why, you know, our, our brand and our company is really built around this, this philosophy, this approach, this value set of being open, being open to new perspectives, being open to new ideas, being open to new people, new conversations. And ultimately, you know, being unsettled is being open to growth and change. And, you know, how do you build a company around that is a, is a great question. 
for us, we started with what we knew well, which was experiences. You know, we started with that sailing trip in the Virgin Islands, you know, in 2014, I think it was, and just started running these in-person experiences because, you know, let's say if you're going to Bali for 30 days with 25 complete strangers from all over the world, you've got your product, your program, your work, your ideas, whatever it is that you're going there to work on. And so do those, you know, 25, 30 other people. You're going to be in a new place where you're going to have to navigate new contexts, new conversations, new decisions, new environments, right? You're going to be with people you've never spent time with. You're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to have to think about yourself and reflect on how you communicate and how you have biases or, you know, prejudices or what your beliefs are. And they're going to be challenged by other people coming from other cultures, right? And finally, you're, you're sort of unsettling your routine in that, you know, your day in Bali is going to be different than your day in New York or London or Paris or wherever you're coming from just by nature of being in a, in a new place. So for us, travel was, I think, the initial gateway of really how do we help people kind of unsettle their lives in a positive way? How do we get them to shake up their routine to grow? And so, you know, that's sort of the philosophy and the, and the foundation of, you know, inspiring that being that catalyst for growth and running experiences as a catalyst for growth. You know, what the actual product is, you know, our experiences from the beginning have been, you know, one month co-living, co-working, you know, you have a work, a place to, to live, a place to work, different experiences, whether it's cultural, historical, entrepreneurial, creative, adventurous, that are curated throughout a month, different workshops that we put on, but also very much open for the community to put on. So we call it a, a co-created experience because it's a lot of what happens on an unsettled experience are created by the community. So let's say you, Matt, would, would maybe teach a workshop on how to successfully run a podcast or grow a podcast, or you know, I might teach one on you know perspective bias or photography. So it becomes a real community in that you know we're co-creating that month together. So you know we started with that as the base uh, the base product of, of unsettled of running these one-month co-living, co-working, co-created experiences for people from all over the world, mostly professionals who were either in transition and looking for more freedom and flexibility out of their work, or people who had, you know, had a bit of freedom and flexibility with their work, you know, like you and I, who I think were looking for more community out of travel. Because I think, you know, you use as well as anybody, you know, that, you know, living a nomadic life can be a lonely life, right? It can be isolating, hopping from one place to the next to the next. You don't carry on a through line of the same conversations with the same people. You've got to meet new people all the time, which can be really exciting, but equally can be a bit challenging. And so to have, you know, one community for one month in one place, I think adds a richness to traveling that I think a lot of people are missing in, in, in sort of the digital age and, and the way that we're living today. So that's where we started. You know, I think we've evolved quite a bit since from those original experiences, but, but that's really where we began with the concept. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of your shorter term experiences as well. And just looking on your website, and just I just want to give people a sense of the types of things that we're talking about here. So you guys now offer month long experiences. And those, you know, just looking at the upcoming ones are in, you know, super epic global cities like Barcelona and Buenos Aires, two of my favorite cities, by the way, where I've spent uh, quite a bit of time. And then you offer two week long experiences. And those are in also really amazing places like Tuscany, Italy, and uh, some of the best surfing beaches in Nicaragua, also two amazing places. And then you offer one week experiences. And those, my goodness, I'm just I'm like looking through these and I'm like, wow, <laughs> these are amazing. So those range from, you know, going to Machu Picchu in the Sacred Valley in Peru 
to going on a sailing trip through the Greek islands to going to Tokyo for a week, which <laughs> is also one of my favorite cities. Although I have to tell you, I have to tell you, Jonathan, my favorite offering that you have in these one week experiences, despite how epic all of those ones are that I just read that made me smile, I think the most yeah. is that you offer a week in Beirut, Lebanon, yeah. which is amazing. Beirut is just such a spectacular and special city. And like the fact that you guys offer that, that's like literally what made me smile the most of anything on your (laughs) website. But can you talk a little bit about, you know, the differences between why someone might choose a one week experience versus a two week versus a one month long? Yeah. So, you know, we started with the month as a foundation. And I think what we learned and developed over time, you know, in the four years that we've been running and growing Unsettled as a business and really a community is that, it's really hard to get away for a month for some people. You know, it is really aspirational. It's kind of like living that dream life, you know, going to Bali for a month or Buenos Aires for a month. But it's also challenging. I mean, a month of your life, if you don't have, you know, full freedom and flexibility with your career is tricky. And so we really started introducing the two-week trips about a year and a half, two years ago. And then the one-week trips came in about a year ago or less than a year ago, actually, last year. And for us, it was really a way to we had built this incredible community through these experiences, right? You spend 30 days of your life with, with an intentional community of people. Those are lifelong relationships. I mean, the connections that have come out from those experiences are everything ranging from business partnerships to hiring to marriage and more. And so, you know, we've seen this community grow and evolve in, in truly beautiful ways. And, you know, for us, we always ask the question, well, what, what more can we do for our community? right? How more can we keep this up? If, if you can't go on a one month trip, you know, once, twice a year, you know, what can you do? And so we actually asked the community and said, would you go on one week unsettled trips? Would you go on two week unsettled trips? And there was a resounding yes, that people were looking for it, which I think spoke to us that, you know, it wasn't just about working remotely in a beautiful place. It was about networking with a thoughtful curated group of people from all over the world in an experience that you know, was unstructured and and flexible and not a guided tour, right? And I think there's very few group experiences out there that are both curated, but not kind of guided and itinerary driven. And so I think none of our experiences have some kind of firm itinerary. They're all very open. And really, you kind of explore, right? It's like exploring with with a community. And we have, you know, experienced leaders and, and guides, but they act very differently. And so, you know, the two week retreats, I would say are, you know, much more of like a creative sabbatical. It's for people who, you know, tend to maybe have a full-time job that they can't quite get away from for a month and, and they can afford two weeks and, and can make that work and really want to use that time to think through maybe the next steps in their career or their lives or just want to take time out to practice a skill, right? A lot of people work on whether it's drawing or painting or writing or, you know, some kind of thing that they're trying to develop during that time. The one weeks are really just awesome adventures. I think there's no other way to put them. You know, they stem from our original one week sailing trip, which we, you know, do about two or three a year now. I just got off the boats in Bahamas last week with about 16 people. And that's really just kind of a way to say, listen, you know, you want to continue to travel with Unsettle. Our alumni are really interested in, in continuing traveling with us. And, you know, we, we ask them where are the places that they want to go. And Tokyo was one of the top ones several times. So we said, all right, we've got to run this. Beirut, we have. 50 to 60 plus alumni from Beirut. And so, you know, we couldn't resist the temptation of them inviting us every single day to come to Beirut and run a trip in Beirut. So, you know, these are often one week trips that are very much supported by or influenced by our community. 
and in some ways like run by our community. You know, the, the people who run our experiences in Beirut are part of our community. They are alumni of our experiences. And so, you know, I think it, it opens up unsettled in terms of accessibility for how you travel, when you can travel, where you can travel, but retains that that element that this is really a, a global travel community for people who are, you know, I think asking the big questions and, and looking for deeper meaning, deeper experiences and off the beaten path ways of exploring a new destination. That's awesome, man. And, I, you know, just to your point about Beirut, it is amazing. I mean, I have about probably about eight or 10, you know, good personal friends of mine who are Lebanese who live in Beirut. And being able to just go to Beirut with that kind of local connection is just such a spectacular experience. I mean, you are talking about the best nightlife in the Middle East. You're talking about the best food in the region. You know, I mean, and people don't even know about the wines of Lebanon. I mean, like, you know, Chateau Moussard in Lebanon is one of the top preeminent wines you will have anywhere in the world. I mean, it is like you, Beirut is just such a magical experience, especially if you have that local connection. Yeah. And I feel like that's so important because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm watching as this sort of digital nomad movement, if you want to call it that, is evolving. And there's some trends that I'm really excited about. And there's other trends that I'm like, mm, you know, like I'm seeing things where sometimes it's just kind of a, you know, a band of roving nomads with no local connection at all. And it's a bunch mm. of expats just go hang out together in a foreign city. You know what I mean? In right. some cases, right? right? And so I think the fact that you guys provide that level of local connection and that you're incorporating your participants into a local community-based, community-run experience, I think is super, super important. And I want to expand on that and ask you if you could yeah. talk a little bit more about this concept that you mentioned about the diversity. And I, I was reading through your website and you guys have some really important and interesting things on there that I want to highlight. So I'm just going to read this. You have a section on your website that says, no borders, no boundaries, no bullshit. And in that section, it says that Unsettled's community holds over 2,000 alumni from 80 plus countries. And when it goes through sort of the demographics of, you know, who are the people that do Unsettled, it says we are creatives, entrepreneurs, artists, freelancers, and professionals of all ages and backgrounds. And the average age is mid-30s to early 40s. And when it goes deeper into the types of people that are on Unsettled, it says you have CEOs, CMOs, CFOs, but you also have farmers, designers, architects, captains, scientists, rare book collectors, illustrators, painters, poets, coaches, and more, which is awesome. And then at the end, it emphasizes we are global and inclusive, which I think is so important as a founding priority around which to build this type of a company. Can you talk a little bit more about the diversity and inclusivity that you have and also how you are intentional about cultivating and expanding that? Yeah, it was really something from day one that was kind of a non-negotiable. You know, we knew that we were going to be a global company. We knew we were going to be a fully remote company. And we knew that diversity is what makes communities thrive. You know, I think especially one like Unsettled. And, and you know, we learned that coming out of, I think, in many ways, our own experiences. You know, my experience as a journalist and, and working across, you know, borders and, and backgrounds and industries and, you know, interviewing and meeting people all over the world. And, and along with our experience at TED, you know, just having all these people in the same room for three months, 
it was tremendously valuable experience and, and challenged us in ways that we never imagined. And so when we set about intentionally curating the community of Unsettled, you know, we knew that that was going to be a founding principle. We knew that that was going to be something we would look out for and actively really seek. I don't think we knew how global it would be. Uh, I didn't know, you know, that the reach that we would have in those first couple of months. I mean, when we ran our first trip in Buenos Aires, it was like 30 people from, I think, like 18 countries. And my only question was, how the fuck did you find out about us? <laughs> and it was remarkable. And I think it's because, you know, we're tapping into something that people are really looking for right now. I think as the world inherently becomes more connected in some ways, I think it becomes more siloed. I mean, you read about, you know, the bubble effect or the filter effect of social media. You know, I think, yes, we are hyper-connected and aware of what's going on all around the world. But Equally so, we find ourselves siloed sometimes in our thinking or what we're exposed to or the communities that we're a part of. And people who join Unsettled intentionally are looking to pop that bubble, right? The experiences are intentionally designed to get you out of your comfort zone and be exposed to that diversity of people. And so, you know, you get people from all backgrounds and, and cultures and experiences and age groups even who are looking for that kind of experience. And, you know, I think part of it is that the brand was designed around that. But part of it, I think, is that you know, people who are looking for that kind of diversity find a company like Unsettled, either by the name or through referrals. We're very referral driven. And then how do we keep it diverse? And how do we keep it different? And how do we keep it, I think, as intentional and curated as it is, is we do have an application and admissions process. So, you know, we say, you know, as long as you're not an asshole, you should fit right in, which is true. But you do have to go through, you know, applying online, and having a call with one of our admissions team members just to really set expectations. You know, we want to know what you're about. We want to know that you're not crazy. You want to know that we're not crazy. We want to be able to, to be on a level playing field of here's what this experience is about, right? And this is not going to be a five-star luxury tour. We're not here to handhold you every day. We want to make sure that you're open to different ideas and perspectives and opinions. And, you know, overall, over the past four years, we've had very little incidences in the community of, of anything that, that comes against our values. And and if we do, we act upon it immediately because it's very clear that that's you know, a violation of, of how we view the world and how we view community and how we view experiences. And so you know, it's not common for, let's say, a typical travel company to have you know, an application process and admissions process. It feels more like maybe a university or a program. But I think it's important to at least setting the tone for the kind of community that we want to curate, which then results in the kind of incredible experience that that people have when they're on a trip with us. And so, you know, it has been quite intentional throughout. And, you know, we, we still get surprised when we, you know, meet people on our trips and we're like, I didn't even know that was a job. But somehow you do it and somehow you brought it with you to, you know, Buenos Aires or, or Tuscany. And so it's been a joy. And it's, I think, a real asset and a value for, for everybody in our community who now has you know, people in 80 countries that they can hit up and say, hey, I'm coming to Lebanon, you know, can you host me? Or hey, I'm, you know, from everywhere from Oman to Saudi Arabia, to Guam, to Suriname, to I mean, everywhere in the world, there's most places somebody who's been unsettled and is willing to, to host or share knowledge or insights or connections. And I think that's, you know, uh, a testament to what people are looking for as we as we travel and what people are looking for in terms of that global perspective and, and breaking out of that filter bubble that we've in many ways kind of set for ourselves. That's awesome. Can you speak a little bit about the values of Unsettled and how you create a safe, comfortable, inclusive, supportive environment, you know, particularly for communities of color, 
And, you know, I'm friends with a lot of people of color and I travel the world with a lot of people of color. And I have these very candid conversations, you know, about different choices and different options for nomadic programs or events or experiences. And a lot of the feedback that I'll get is, "Mm, I might not be so comfortable doing X program because, you know, in their marketing materials, there's not a lot of people that look like me. And, you know, I'm not sure how safe and comfortable it would be for me to commit to that type of an experience and and so forth. And as a result, I feel like there are some nomadic experiences that are getting increasingly homogenous as a result of that. And so in terms of your intentionality for being inclusive and increasingly diverse and inclusive, can you talk a little bit about you know, the values that you have and what type of experience, particularly communities of color could experience when they do an unsettled program? Yeah, that's an awesome question. I'm so glad you brought that up because it is, I mean, it is a really interesting topic, not just in the sort of nomad space, but in, in the travel space in general. And I think, you know, in my experience with, with friends and others who, you know, there's many places people of color do not feel comfortable, right, individually or in groups. And, you know, groups like Nomadness and others do an amazing job of facilitating and organizing experiences that are designed around people of color for for exactly that reason, right? Because people don't feel comfortable in some of these groups, which I think is a huge problem. You know, I think it's a real challenge. And for us, you know, I can't speak on behalf of anybody of, of color or any other background, et cetera, that's been on our trips. I let them always speak for themselves. But, you know, what I can say is, you know, there is this perception that the space that we're in, you know, let's let's call it sort of remote working, digital nomadism, you know, this sort of open experience is for your like 28 year old trust fund white kid from New York who, you know, is like, got a tech job and is traveling the world, right? That's the stereotype. And what we find is very, very different. You know, our average age is 35 to 45. We've had people in their 70s and above who love living unsettled and come back over and over. We have people who, you know, I think come from backgrounds that you wouldn't expect to find in that stereotype of what this experience is. And we're proud of that. And I think it comes in many ways to your point around the values that bring our community together. You know, radical openness is one of them. Non-judgment uh, is another one. Participation and contribution. You know, we create an open environment for people to contribute their opinions, their ideas, their perspectives. We prompt conversation, right? We don't shy away from it. I mean, there have been some some of the most incredible conversations that I, I have not been a part of, but have heard about on some of our experiences around race in areas of South Africa, you know, where they go and have an experience of dining with a family in one of the townships in South Africa with a really amazing organization called Dine With that we work with that brought out conversations about race in America, race in Europe. And, and so, you know, we don't shy away from these conversations. And we simply ask that everybody who comes into Unsettled be open to acknowledging that they have a perspective and acknowledging that they need to be open to others' perspectives and their opinions and their ideas and not judge, right? I think that judgment is a, is a huge factor. And what our experienced leaders do on the ground and why you know I think we consider them the best in the industry is they are really experts at cultivating those conversations and cultivating an environment of openness. From the first day of one of our experiences, we have a conversation about our values, about our principles, about how we are going to live together for this week or this month or these two weeks and set the ground rules. And we also open it up to the community, to everybody who's there to add their own values or what they would want to contribute or what they would want to see as you know principles to guide this community over the month. And they will add theirs. So 
you know, it's part of, I think, our approach of not being prescriptive about how things should be done, not having an itinerary that kind of dictates this has to happen and this has to happen, but coming in instead with an open mindset of saying, we are going to co-create this experience with these 15, 20, 30 people for this length of time that Unsettled is operating in this space. And we want to hear how you want to shape it. And we want to hear the conversations you want to have. And so, you know, I think that approach of being open to those ideas and being open to where they go and not shying away from hard conversations, as well as, you know, curating people who are open to those conversations, I think is a, a big part of it. And I think just helped us in many ways, I think, be different than a lot of other organizations out there that, um, you know, may try to not shy away from some of the tough topics, but, you know, I think Target may be a, a much more niche or much more specific demographic, which from a marketing standpoint could probably be a lot easier than us trying to target a really global audience. But, but for us, it's worth it in the end. And, you know, our marketing materials, everything we do, we try to reflect diversity. We try to reflect people who are actually in the community on actual experiences. You know, you go to our community profiles page and hopefully you see, you know, an interesting selection of people who've kind of come from not just different ethnic backgrounds, but different geographic, different ages, different everything. And that's what we want to be. You know, it's, it's an inclusive, we hope for an inclusive world that we live in. And it starts by creating inclusive experiences that allow you to experiment with that. I really appreciate that about you guys. And I appreciate you expanding on that. I want to transition us now to talk about this other offering that Unsettled has rolled out, which is called the Lifestyle Incubator, which is such a brilliant term. As soon as I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, you guys, you guys have got to trademark that immediately. That's such an incredible term. Can you talk about what the Lifestyle Incubator means, what that experience is like for people? Yes, I would love to. It's something we're really excited about and having a lot of fun with. So, you know, I'll start with this. I believe that the most fundamental human skill of the 21st century and beyond is how to navigate uncertainty, how we navigate change. Because, you know, we live in a world that is changing incredibly fast. The effect that technology is having on our lives, our jobs, our careers, our work, where we live, how we live. I mean, nobody can argue that it's, it's just constantly changing and shifting the realities and the institutions in which we live in and exist in. And so it's a very philosophical way to start, you know, uh, an online program. But I think it's important because what we've designed with the Lifestyle Incubator is ultimately a program on how we navigate uncertainty in our lives and careers and how that can help us understand how to be more intentional about the direction we want to set. So the Lifestyle Incubator is really for people who are at a certain stage in their life or their career where they're looking to change direction, right? It could be that you've spent 10 years at a job and you're ready to kind of figure out what's next, but you don't know exactly what it is. Or it could be, you know, you've set up a pretty good freelance lifestyle for yourself, but are now looking to balance work and life a little differently. Or it could just be that you're looking to prioritize things in your life a little differently than you were, you know, five years ago or 10 years ago. The Lifestyle Incubator is, is designed to help you navigate by asking the right questions. So we are not a, you know, kind of BS prescription oriented, here's five steps to get your dream job, or here's 10 steps to become a successful freelancer, or, you know, here's, you know, the three things that will help you figure out your life. Like, we don't do that. We ask the right questions with the right frameworks and the right structures that we've developed. 
in the context of a community of people. So we, we consider it a learning community because the typical group size of this lifestyle incubator is about 25 to 30 people. Again, super diverse, different backgrounds, corporate freelance, and so on. And so we build this learning community over the course of a month where we run workshops and sessions and conversations and breakout rooms and provide you know homework, tools, resources that are designed to help you get clarity on what you want to do next. And by clarity, I mean understanding where you internally feel like you want to go, have a better self-awareness of what it is you care about, what's important to you, have a better understanding of how that can fit into the world and, and the future of work that we exist in today, and then how to keep yourself accountable along with your peers over the course of that of the course of that program and beyond. So it's something quite radical, something quite fun. It's not your traditional online course. It's highly interactive. And we just finished up our second one. It's a really recent one. And yeah, it's kind of exceeded my expectations. It's really blown me away, like the interactions people have had, the conversations they've had, the things that they've done. I mean, we had four people in the last program out of 25, like actually quit their jobs during the experience. You know, we had three people have conversations with their boss to reframe their expectations at work to lead a more fulfilling lifestyle. So it's something that is for people who really want to think deeply about, you know, what they want out of life and what they want out of work and help them navigate that without, you know, setting the the promises of, you know, we're going to get you X, Y, Z. We just say, we're going to help you ask the right questions and you're going to arrive at the answers because most people know they just need it to be uncovered. That's awesome. So this is a completely virtual online experience. So people can participate in the lifestyle incubator experience from anywhere in the world and, you know, from their homes. They don't even have to be a nomad. They don't have to go anywhere, which is awesome. Yeah. And then your website says that it's broken down into three different parts. So part one is the approach to radical self-awareness and self-assessment that gives you the best understanding of your values, interests, and goals. Part two is an in-depth methodology that helps you to design your next move in terms of both career and lifestyle. And then part three is coming out with a specific and achievable plan of action. So that by the time you're done with the program, you know what it is that you want, you've designed a vision for getting there, and you have an actionable plan to begin to take steps every day. And then you guys also provide peer-to-peer accountability mechanisms and things like that to help people actually ensure that that comes to fruition, right? Yeah, and that's a huge part of it. You know, I think there's a lot of things out there that are designed around personal growth, professional growth that you can do on your own, right? You can read a book by Tony Robbins, you can watch, you know, you can listen to a podcast, you can, you know, download an online course, but the missing component, and I think the theme of a lot of this conversation is community, right? Like we do better in communities that can push us to be our best. And so the Lifestyle Incubator is designed around a virtual community, but, you know, by the end of a month, it does feel like you are a community, even if you're, you know, 2000 miles away, you've seen these people on video conference, you know, twice, three times a week for an entire month. And sometimes people even do meet up in person, which is really fun to see. That's awesome, man. All right. So we're going to link up in the show notes, the direct links for how people can check out more information about both the online lifestyle incubator program, as well as all of the in-person unsettled experiences that they can check out where they are, when they are, and uh, how to participate. So all that's going to be at one place. Uh, just go to themaverickshow.com and go to the show notes for this episode. And at this point, Jonathan, are you ready to move in to the lightning 
round. I hope I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. The Lightning Round. All right. What is one book that has significantly influenced you over the years that you would most recommend people check out? It is Alvin Toffler's Future Shock. And I haven't read it in probably 10 to 12 years. I read it in college, but there's a phrase in it that has always resonated with me and with what we do at Unsettled that is basically future shock. It's the moment when the accelerated pace of change of society kind of renders us paralyzed. Uh, and it's just a fascinating kind of techno-utopian book that explains a lot about where we are today, but did it in the 19, I think mid-1970s, if not late 60s. So yeah, it's an interesting one. <laughs> Awesome. If you could go back in time, knowing everything that you know now, and give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Jonathan? Just keep doing exactly what you're doing. That's it. (laughs) Awesome. What is one item that you always bring with you when you travel? One item I always bring with me when I travel is... I mask. That is essential. That's it. That's the key. Everything else is, I mean, as long as I got the phone on the computer, we're good. But the eye mask, I can't live. <laughs> I love it. What is one travel hack or technique that you use when you're traveling to make your experience better that you recommend people try? Aside from reaching out to anybody and everybody that you can even try to find in that place and just set up a, a dinner or drinks. I'll go with the simple travel hack of wearing a lot of clothes at the airport so that you can take everything on carry-on. And I think you probably do that quite <laughs> quite well yourself too, knowing your story. That's a good technique, man. <laughs> Wear it all in a place. <laughs> I love it. All right. Last two questions, Jonathan. Travel-related questions. What are your top three favorite travel destinations you've ever been to that you would recommend people check out? Number one is Slovenia, hands down, one of the most beautiful countries on earth. The capital is called Ljubljana. For those who have trouble pronouncing it, it's a tricky one, spelled very strangely, but it is guaranteed one of the top places in the world that you will ever see. Second is Cairo, actually. I think it's just such a wild place. I think it's such an incredible energy there that, you know, history, culture, etc. So Cairo. Third, I'm going to say right now, Mexico. I think a lot of people overlook Mexico. And I think Mexico is one of the most fascinating places I've been and only recently discovered. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I spent a month in Mexico City and it's just a truly spectacular place. Totally agreed on that. Yeah. All right. Last question. Jonathan, what are your top three bucket list destinations, places that you've never been that are the highest on your list right now you'd most love to go? So number one, I want to take a bicycle around either Kazakhstan or Uzbekistan. So that's one, uh, just because I think it's something that hasn't been done that often. It seems a little off, off the beaten path. I have a fantasy of sea kayaking around the Lofton Islands in Norway. That's, that's also on my list as an interesting experience. And third, I think, honestly, it's going to be a little generic, but I want to go on a surf trip to Hawaii. I'm a big surfer and I've never been to Hawaii. And I feel like it's I kind of overdue. So that's going to make the third. That's amazing. Awesome picks. All right, Jonathan, I want you to let people know 
how they can find you, connect with you, come into your universe. If people want to see more about Unsettled, they want to see more about the Lifestyle Incubator, they want to follow you on social media, see what you're up to. How can people come into the universe of Unsettled and Jonathan Kalen? Yeah, well, we would love to have you. I'll start with Unsettled first. Just beunsettled.co. That's the letter B, the letter E unsettled.co is how you can find us online or our Instagram is pretty awesome. Uh, and that is Instagram slash be unsettled. Again, most social networks, you can find us at be unsettled. And for me, Instagram is Kaylin shoots. My last name should be written there. And anybody has anything they want to share thoughts, conversations, anything. I'm always open. I love to meet new people and you can always email me at Kaylin at be unsettled.co. Other than that, if anybody wants to join an unsettled trip, I would be super happy to have you or even chat with you about it. There's a special discount code called Maverick that you can get a hundred bucks off any of our experiences by listening to this podcast or just being a fan or a friend of Matt. We love you and love the show. Did I miss anything, Matt? I think that's it. And the hundred dollar discount would apply to either an in-person unsettled trip or it would also apply to the virtual lifestyle incubator if anybody wants to do that as well. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. Awesome. So what we're going to do, folks, is link that up in the show notes. So just go to themaverickshow.com and then just go to the show notes for the Jonathan Kalen episode. We're going to have your discount codes there. So you can just click through and grab that $100 discount on either an unsettled experience or the virtual lifestyle incubator program. Awesome. Jonathan, this has been such a blast, my friend. Really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Likewise, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. Do you want to learn how to travel the world for a year plus with carry-on luggage only and look good while you're doing it? Go to themaverickshow.com slash packing to see a free recorded webinar and learn exactly how Matt does it. He shows you the luggage he uses, the specific items he packs, and the travel brands he likes most. Even if you're just looking to go on shorter trips, but pack more efficiently and eliminate your checked luggage, you won't want to miss this. You can watch the free recorded webinar at themaverickshow.com forward slash packing. Would you like to get Maverick Investor Group's white paper on real estate investing for digital nomads? How to buy U.S. rental properties from anywhere in the world and finance an epic international lifestyle? Just go to themaverickshow.com slash nomad. The report is totally free and available for you now at themaverickshow.com forward slash nomad.